Canto Three of Gawain and the Green Knight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jerome Lawson. April 2008. Gawain and the Green Knight. A Fairy Tale. By Charlton Minor Lewis. Canto Three. Gawain. O Muse! But no! Heaven knows I need a muse. But which of all the nine, pray, should I choose? Thalia, Cleo, and Melpomene. I love them all, but none, alas, loves me. For if you want a muse to take your part, you must be solely hers with all your heart. And I have mingled since my earliest youth my smiles and tears, my fictions and my truth. Nay, in this very tale, scarce yet half done, I've courted all the nine, and so won none. Not for me, therefore, the Parnassian lyre, or winged war-horse shod with heavenly fire. Harsh numbers flow from throats whose thirst has been, a whole life long unslaked of hippocrine. But I will even go on as best I can, and let the story end as it began, a plain straightforward man's unvarnished word, part sad, part sweet, and part of it absurd. A year passed by, as years are wont to do, winter and spring, summer and autumn too, till mid-December's flaw-blown flakes of snow warned Gawain that the time was come to go, to the green chapel by the murmuring mere, and take again the blow he gave last year. In the great court his charger stamped the ground, while knights and weeping ladies thronged around, to arm him, as the custom was of yore, and bid him sad farewell for evermore. One face alone in all that bustling throng our hero's eyes sought eagerly and long. Sought vainly, for the lady Elfinhart, debating with herself, stood yet apart. But as Sir Gawain gathered up his reins, and bade the drawbridge warden loose the chains, suddenly Elfinhart stood by his side. Her fair face flushed with love and joy and pride. She plucked a sprig of holly from her gown, and looked up, questioning, as he leaned down. And so she placed it in his helm. No word, might Gawain's lips then utter, but he heard, the voice that was his music, and could feel, the touch of gentle fingers through the steel. Wear this, Sir Gawain, for a loyal friend, whose hopes and prayers go with you to the end. And staying not for answer, she withdrew, and in the throng was lost to Gawain's view. He roused himself, and waving high his hand, struck spur, and so rode off toward fairyland. Long time he travelled by an unknown way, unhoused at night, companionless by day. The cold sleet stung him through his shirt of mail, but underneath his stout heart would not fail, but beat full measure through the fiercest storm, and kept his head clear and his brave soul warm. No need to tell the perils that he passed, he conquered all, and came unscathed at last, to where a high embattled castle stood, deep in the heart of a dense willow wood. And Gawain called aloud, and to the gate a smiling porter came, who opened straight, and bade him enter in and take his rest. And Gawain entered, and the people pressed, about him with fair speeches, and he laid his armor off, and gave it to them, and prayed, that they would take his message to their lord. Prayer for friendly shelter, bed, and board. He told them whence he was, his birth, and name and the bold baron of the castle came. A mighty man, 
huge-limbed, with flashing eyes, and welcomed him with old-time courtesies. For manners, in those days, were held of worth, and gentle breeding went with gentle birth. He heartily was glad his guest had come, and made Sir Gawain feel himself at home. And as they walked in, side by side, each knew, the other for an honest man and true. That night our hero and the baron ate a sumptuous dinner in the hall of state, and all the household, ranged along the board, made good cheer with Sir Gawain and their lord, and passed the brimming bowl right merrily, with friendly banter, and quick repartee. And Gawain asked if they had chanced to hear of a green chapel by a murmuring mirror. And straightway all grew grave, within his breast, Sir Gawain felt a tremor of unrest, but told his story with the gay outside, and asked for some good man to be his guide. To find his foe, I promise him, said he, no golden guerdon, his reward shall be, the consciousness that unto him was given, to show a parting soul the way to heaven. Up jumped his host. My friend, I like your attitude, and know no surer way to win heaven's gratitude. Then sending thither just such men as you, I'll be your guide, but since you are not due, at the green chapel till three nights from now, and since the way is short, I'll tell you how. The interim may be disposed of best. In short, let me propose a merry jest. At this Sir Gawain gave a sudden start, for some old memory seemed to clutch his heart, and in the baron's eyes he seemed to see a twinkling gleam of green benignity. Not wholly strange, but like a flash was gone. Gawain sank back, and his good host went on. Two days you sojourn here, and while I take, my daily hunting in the wood you make, my house and castle yours, and then, each night, we'll meet together here at candlelight, and all my winnings in the wood, and all, that comes to you at home, whatever befall, we'll give each other in exchange, in fine. My fortune shall be yours, and yours be mine. To Gawain this seemed generous indeed, and with most cordial laughter he agreed. They clasped hands over the bargain with good zest, and then all said good night and went to rest. Next morning Gawain was awakened early, from a deep slumber by the hurly-burly, of footman, horseman, seneschal, and groom, bursting beneath the windows of his room. He rose and looked out, just in time to see, the baron and a goodly company, of huntsmen, armed with crossbow, axe, and spear, ride through the castle gate and disappear. And then, while Gawain dressed, there came a knock, upon his chamber door. He threw the lock, and a boy page brought robes of ermine fur, and tarsic silk, black, white, and lavender, for his array, and with them a kind message, which the good knight received with no ill presage. Will brave Sir Gawain spare an idle hour, for quiet converse in my lady's bower? The boy led on, and Gawain followed him, through crooked corridors and archways dim, along low galleries, echoing from afar, and down a winding stair. Then, here we are, the page cried cheerily, and paused before, the massive carvings of an antique door. This he swung open, and the knight passed through, into a garden, fresh with summer dew. A lady's bower in fairyland, what pen, could make that strange enchantment live again? 
not he who drew a crazier's bower of bliss. And Phaedra's happy isle could picture this, that sweet-souled Puritan discerned too well, the serpent's coil behind the witch's spell. And he who saw, when the dark veil was torn, the rose of paradise without the thorn, sublimest prophet, whose immortal verse lent mightier thunders to the primal curse. Even he too sternly, in the soul's defense, repressed the still importunate cries of sense. Bid me not, therefore, task my feebler pen, with dreams beyond the limits of their ken. The phantom conjurings of the magic hour, the Gawain passed in that enchanted bower, must be from mortal eyes forever hid. But yet some part of what he felt and did, these lines must needs disclose. As he stood there, breathing soft odors from the mellow air, all hopes, all aims of knighthood seemed, like the dim yesterdays of one who dreamed, in starless caves of memory sunken deep, and like lost music, folded in strange sleep. How long, O mortal man, wilt thou give heed to the world's phantom voices, the hour's speed, and fame and fortune yield to moth and rust, and good and evil crumble into dust? Even now the sands are running in the glass, Set not your heart upon vain things that pass. Ambitions, honors, toils, are but the snare, Where lurks for aye the blind old world's despair. Nay, quiet the bootless striving in your breast, And let your tired heart here at last find rest. In vain have joy, love, beauty struck deep root. In your heart's heart, unless you pluck the fruit, Then put away the cheating soul's pretense, Heap high the press, fill full the cup of sense, shatter the idols of blind yesterday, and let love, joy, and beauty reign alway. Such thoughts as these, confused and unexpressed, flooded the silence in Sir Gawain's breast. Meanwhile, a brazier filled the scented air, with wreaths of magic mist, and he was ware that the mist drew together like a shroud, and then the veil was rent and in the cloud stood one who seemed, in features, form, and dress, the perfect image of all loveliness. The wonders of that vision none could tell, save one whose heart had felt the mystic spell. Once and once only, in the golden days, when youth made melody for love's sweet lays, in two dark eyes, yet oh, how bright, how bright, I saw the wakening rapture of love's light, and in the hush of that still dawning heard, from two sweet trembling lips, love's whispered word. The twilight deepens when the sun is set, in memory golden glories linger yet, but these avail not, though my soul lay bare, with all those memories sanctuary there. That spell was human, but the unseen power that wove the witchery of this fairy bower in Gawain's heart such subtle magic wrought, That past and future were well nigh forgot, And all that earth holds else, or heaven above, Seemed not worth keeping, save this dream of love. And now, as the strange cloud of incense broke, The vision, if it were a vision, spoke. If it were speech that filled the quivering air, With low harmonious music, let no one dare, in the rude jargons of this world the fashion, That sweet wild anthem of unearthly passion. 
could I from the broad billowing ocean borrow, of Tristan's love, and of his old sorrow, the flood of those world-darkening surges, wrought, with thoughts that lie beyond the reach of thought, might bring me succour where weak words must fail. But Gawain saw and heard, and passion pale, shrank back, and made a darkness of his face, as though the unplumbed depths of starless space could quench those lustrous eyes, or close his ears, to the eternal music of love's spheres. But the voice changed, and Gawain, listening there, heard now a heart's low cry of wild despair. He turned again, and lo, the vision knelt, and drew a jeweled poniard from her belt, to arm herself against her own dear life. But as she bared her white breast to the knife, he started quickly forward, and he grasped the hand that held the hilt, and then she clasped her soft arms round his neck, and as their lips met in the shadowing fold of love's eclipse, all earth, all heaven, all nightly hopes of grace, died in the darkness of one blind embrace. Died? Nay, for Gawain, ere the moment passed, broke from the arms that strove to bind him fast, and turned away once more, and as he pressed, a trembling hand against his throbbing breast, his aimless fingers touched a treasured part of the green holly branch of Elfenheart, laid in his breast when he put off his arms. What perils now are left in fairy charms? For poets fable when they call love blind, love's habitation is the purer mind, whence with his keen eyes he may penetrate all mists and fogs that baser spells create. Love? What is love? Not the wild, feverish thrill, when heart to heart the thronging pulses fill, and lips that close in parching kisses find, no speech but those, the best remains behind. The tranquil spirit, the divine assurance, that this life's seemings have a high endurance. Thoughts that allay this restless striving, calm, the passionate heart, and fill the old wounds with balm. These are the choirs invisible that move, in white processionals up the aisles of love. Such love was Gawain's, love that sanctifies, the heart's most secret altar, and his eyes, their old true rhythm, and so the strife was o'er, and all the perilous wiles of magic art were foiled by Gawain, and by Elfenheart. But time flies, and t'were tedious to delay, my song for all the trials of that day. Light summer breezes, scurrying over the deep, ripple and foam and flash, then sink to sleep. But underneath, serene and changing never, the mighty heart of ocean beats forever. And his deep streams renew from pole to pole the living world's indomitable soul. Even then, of the spells that vexed the brain, of Gawain, love and knighthood made all vain. And in the afternoon, when Gawain learned, that his good host, the baron, had returned, he met him in the hall at candlelight, according to his promise of last night. And then the baron motioned to a page, and straightway six tall men, of lusty age, and mighty sinews, entered the great door, bearing the carcass of a huge wild boar, in all its uncouth ugliness complete, and dropped it quivering at our hero's feet. "'What do you say to that, Sir Gawain?' cried the baron, swelling with true sportsman's pride. 
But come, your promise now of yester eve, tis blesseder to give than to receive, though I'll be sworn you'll find it hard to pay, full value for the winnings of this day. Not so, said Gawain, you will rest my debtor. Your gift is good, but mine will be far better. And then he strode with solemn steps along, the echoing hall, and through the listening throng, and with the words, My noble lord, take this. He gave the baron a resounding kiss. The baron jumped up in ecstatic glee. Now by my great grandsire's beard, quoth he, better than all dead boars in Christendom, is one sweet loving kiss. Whence did it come? Nay there, Sir Gawain said, you step beyond. The terms we stipulated in our bond. Take you my kiss in peace, as I your boar. Be glad, give thanks, and seek to know no more. Loud laughter made the baron's eyes grow bright, and glitter with green sparkles of delight. And then he chuckled, Sir, I'm proud of you. I'll drink your best of health. I think you'll do. And now the board was laid and dressed, and all, sat down to dinner at the baron's call. And Gawain looked along the room askance, seeking the lady, and he caught one glance, of laughing eyes, then looked away in haste, but turned again, and wondered why his taste had erred so strangely, for the lady seemed not fairer now than others. Had he dreamed? He rubbed his eyes and pondered, though in sooth, without one glimmering presage of the truth, till all passed lightly from his puzzled mind, leaving contentment and good cheer behind. So all the company feasted well, and sped, the flying hours, till it was time for bed. One whole day longer must our hero rest, within doors, to fulfill the merry jest. So when next morning Gawain once more heard, the hunts up in the court he never stirred. But let the merry horseman ride away, while he slept soundly well into the day. Later he rose, and strolled from room to room, through vaulted twilights of ancestral gloom, until, descending a long stair, he found the dim-lit castle crypt, deep underground, where sculptured effigies forever kept their long-last marble silence as they slept, and iron sentinels, on bended knees, held eyeless vigil in old panoplies. Sir Gawain, wandering on in aimless mood, pondered the tombstone legends, quaint and rude, wherein the pensive dreamer might divine a tragic history in every line. For so does fate, with bitterest irony, epitomize fame's immortality, perpetuating for all after days mute lamentations and unnoted praise. And Gawain, reading here and there the story of fame obscure and unremembered glory, found on a tablet these words, Where he lies, the gray wave breaks, and the wild sea-mule flies. If any be that loved him, seek not here, but in the hills by the murmuring mere. A nameless cenotaph, perhaps of one, like Gawain's, self-deluded and undone, by the green stranger, and the legend brought, a tide of passion flooding Gawain's thought. A flood-tide, not a fear, for Gawain's breast, shrank never at the perilous behest, of noble knighthood, but the love of life, compassion, 
and soul-sickness of the strife. If any be that loved him, oh, to die, far from green-swarded Camelot, and lie, among these bleak and barren hills alone, his end unwept for, and his grave unknown. Never again to see the sunrise, that brightened all his world in those dear eyes, half suffocating in the charnel air, of that low vault, he staggered up the stair, out of the dim-lit halls of silent death, into the living light, and drew quick breath, where, through a casement arch of ivied stone, bright from the clear blue sky, the warm sun shone. The whole of life's glad rapture thrilled his heart, till a quick step behind him made him start. And there, deep-veiled, in muffling cloak and hood, once more the lady of the castle stood, Low-voiced she spoke, as if with studied care, weighing the syllables of her parting prayer. Sir Gawain, nay, I pray you, tend not yet, but hear me, though my heart may not forget, that once, for one sweet moment you were kind, I come not to recall that to your mind. Between us two be love's words I unspoken. Yet ere you go, I pray you, leave some token that in the long, long years may comfort me, for the dear face I never more shall see. Nay, lady, said the knight, I have no gifts, to give you, errant knighthood ever drifts, from shore to shore, by wandering breezes blown, with naught save its good name to call its own. In friendship, then, I pray you keep for me, my name untarnished in your memory. Ah, sir, she said, my memory bears that name, burnt in with characters of living flame. But though you give me not, I pray you take this girdle from me, wear it for my sake. Nay, but refuse me not, you little know. It's magic power, I had it long ago, from fairyland, and its encircling charm. Keep scatheless him who wears it from all harm. No evil thing can touch him. Gird it on, if but to ease my heart when you are gone. She held a plain green girdle in her hand, in outward seeming just a narrow band, of silk, with silver clasps, but in those days the strangest things were wrought in simplest ways. As Gawain knew full well, and he could see, that all the lady said was verity. He took the girdle, held it, fingered it, then clasped it round his waist to try the fit, irresolutely dallying with temptation, till conscience grew too weak for inclination. For at the last he threw one wandering glance, out at the casement, and the merry dance, of sparkling sunbeams on the fields of snow, wrought havoc in his wavering heart, and so, repeating to himself one word, Life! Life! He took the token from the baron's wife. That evening, when the baron and our knight met to exchange their gifts at candlelight, the baron, looking graver than before, said, Sir, my luck has left me, not a bore, did we get wind of all this blessed day. I come with empty hands, only to pray, your pardon, what fortune do you bring? And Gawain answered firmly, Not a thing. End of Canto 3 Recording by Jerome Lawson April 2008